Hi, and welcome to the Kingdom Wizards Podcast. My name is Abigail Kelly, and I'm here with Caitlin Barash. Hi! Hi! Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. Highlight of my day. Oh my Ready? god, I'm so stoked to talk to you. I'm like, I here's the deal. Here's the deal. When I got uh, your publicist email, I was like, I was like, oh yeah, this like okay, this book looks a little wild. Maybe not typically like what I have on the podcast. Um, but I, right. but I immediately I saw that like, and former bookseller with a novel set in the book. Where I was like, sold, hit, that's mine on my podcast immediately. I think I responded like within the hour. Like I want her on the podcast because that is exactly what we want to hear. And so manipulative of us. Like you know, obviously readers and writers we're so self-obsessed absolutely (laughs) and you know what like as far as uh, it just reminds me of I had this conversation with my brother one time and he was like yeah I went to a bookstore over the weekend and I like walked in there I was talking to the people there and and this guy was like I told him my, my sister worked worked in a bookstore and he was like oh she's a bookseller too and I was like bookseller and he's like yeah 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 she's a bookseller and my brother had the audacity to say to me um, I didn't know that bookseller was a title. I, th- I thought you, I thought you were just a retail worker. Yeah, no, it gives us like a sense of a, a little bit more uh, fancy feelings about us. I Listen, think. a little, a little glamour. We have to, we have to, or else it's just being dusty and getting paper cuts all the time and getting yelled at by people who want books. I know, I know. I, I like the term too. I don't think I realized it until I arrived. Yeah. Um, and I was like getting the tour and the orientation. And I was like, you know, I'm a bookseller. I, yeah, and sometimes I liked introducing myself that way at bars. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bookseller. bookseller. And it does, it, there's something sort of antiquated about it, but in this like very lovely way yeah. that, you know, well, I, I liked, I, it, it rolls it's off. A, it's been a profession for as long as books have been available. Exactly. So it, yeah. it is actually a very antiquated and like yeah. prestigious position. We just also happen to be yeah. retail workers. Yeah, I know, I know. You know I, yeah. I, so, so, okay. Before we get too deep into the the book selling game, right. I am um so interested in the fact that your book, a novel obsession, which came out yesterday in real time. Um, which mm-hmm. in our time now, as we were recording this, is two weeks away. Um, so I cannot imagine your stress level right now. <laughs> Spiking. Anxiety <laughs> up here. Like, just... It's, it's an 11 on a scale of 1 to 10. Oh, let's my God. Like, I am so... I'm with you. Like, I, I am feeling... <laughs> it, the empathy is... I am feeling anxiety for you. I'm sweaty for you, Thank Caitlin. you. I can feel the empathy radiating out at me, so right. I appreciate Whenever it. Whenever an author comes to the bookstore and is like, yeah, I have a book coming out next month, and I'm like, do you need me to hold your hand? <laughs> yeah, they're, like, visibly <laughs> shaking. I'm like, I'll do that. I'll hold your <laughs> knocking, hand. I'm knocking shit over. Do you yeah. water? Anything? Yeah. I'll be that person who, like, knocks over a display that a bookseller has just put together, like, meticulously. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Sorry. My hand just, just jerked. In or, like, you're going to be trying to take a picture um, with your book, and then, like, someone's going to walk behind you for the first, and you're going to see them out of the corner of your down. eye and be like, I, this is the worst social interaction I've had today and maybe yeah. ever. And and then you're going to have, like, a dozen of those. So, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm going to be, you know, being clumsy all over New York City. Ooh, awesome. I want you to go full Neil Gaiman and start doing, like, stealth signings. <laughs> Yeah, like wear a different, I'll wear like a wig and a mustache or yeah. something, but different wigs, different mustaches. 
um just i don't know where the mustache came from it could probably if just you're be wigs, gonna but... do if you're gonna do a disguise <laughs> and you don't do a mustache then you failed and you should be ashamed yeah exactly i mean come yeah. on it's either that or like a full beard or full old lady makeup right yeah, I actually, it's funny. When I was growing up, I loved being an old lady for Halloween, which now I find like, kind of fucked up and, and just a bit offensive. <laughs> but, but like my grandma loved it because I was always going to her house because she lived in this really like small suburban complex that was very easy for kids to run around at night and like no one had to really worry about us. Um, and I would always be at her house. So she had all this stuff she could give mm-hmm. me for my costume and bless her because she was not offended by it in the least, but I was, I had like her old canes and I would have the gray oh wig God. and like the spectacles and yeah. And so I just did that twice. I did that twice in a row because I loved it so much. So maybe I should pull that one. My, my very first uh, like chosen Halloween costume. Well, I mean, obviously my parents let me pick, but like the one that like yeah. I remember as being like, no, I want to be this. And I like went to a thrift store with my mom to like pick out stuff for it was I was eight I think and I wanted to be a vampire mm-hmm. bride um but I <laughs> like in uh, Mean Girls <laughs> yeah kind of like yeah but I like I remember I got this cocktail dress that was cl- obviously meant for like an adult woman that I had to like like <laughs> terribly sew up the chest so I wouldn't just be essentially oh, naked um and then I just like <laughs> covered the bottom half of my face in in blood and was like this is my costume you'll know what I am <laughs> Just... Sounds great. Did you scare a lot of? Other I don't children? think so. I might have made some parents uncomfortable. because uh, it... <laughs> that, that's the yeah. dream, though. Making other parents uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I've, I've done it. it. <laughs> I've been doing it all my life. I'm gonna continue to do it. That's why I have a podcast now. <laughs> exactly. It was, it's the it's the vampire bride to podcaster pipeline. I mean, that's listen. That's it. It it's all it all tracks the amount of vampires I talk yeah. about on this podcast, Caitlin. <laughs> There's a thread. Yeah, clearly. (laughs) Okay, so to get back to your book, though, a novel obsession, out already, in bookstores, wherever, get it, already, now. You should have already bought it. What are you doing? get it. (laughs) Um, Run. So the premise of your book, to not give too much away, is a young woman who is a bookseller um, is dating a young man, a a Welshman, and in the opening pages, we discover that she has recently become obsessed with his ex-girlfriend, Rosemary. Um, and she is, her voice is so strong and unique. Um, but I couldn't, I like, I, I couldn't get past this like niggling comparison in my head. I was like, what is, what is Caitlin's writing style and her approach to character? What does that remind me of? And I'm going to tell you what it reminds me of. And I want you to know that it is maybe the highest compliment I've ever given on this podcast. Um, It so deeply reminds me of Shirley Jackson. Oh my goodness. I, wow. All right. Podcast is over now. I'm going to go. Right. Like I, I, I was reading, I was like this really deep, psychological like unsettling it, she reminded me of Mary Cat from We Have Always Lived in the Castle this girl who you mm-hmm. are rooting for because she, it's her voice we're hearing it's her story that she's telling so you automatically are rooting for her but you you know 
that she's that she's doing something wrong and you know that she's this inherently incredibly flawed character and you you know that you shouldn't root for her but you get sucked into her like neuroses like it's there's so many levels to it i was like yes caitlin yes (laughs) yeah yeah sucking getting sucked in was definitely something that i hope readers would would feel um because yeah and it's definitely been like I've only talked to a few people since, as of this moment in time, um, since the book isn't out yet, as we're speaking, only a few people have read it, and, like, some of my Mm -hmm. friends, but they're always like, god damn, she's crazy, so why do I feel so implicated? (laughs) Um, And then they resist, Mm -hmm. you know, there's definitely a resistance to her, but I I hope that, and as I've been hearing, that people do feel implicated, but hopefully in, like, a... Well, you you definitely, you you don't like her, right? Like, you... From the very right. first line, you don't like her. Like you're like, oh, she's mm-hmm. she's a freak. This this girl is like because we you open the book with her literally like mid stock. Like she is. Oh like, yeah. You don't ease into it. You don't like start with her kind of looking at her Instagram. Like no, you jump right. in to the deep end with her already like finding her place of work and like mm-hmm. like just knowing how tall she is, knowing where she lives, what bar she goes to, also bringing her boyfriend friend kind of into it immediately like I was like oh Oh, yeah oh girl you're like you're like crazy crazy and I love it I love it um she's trouble she's (laughs) big trouble um but what I what I one thing I really did enjoy besides the fact that like Shirley Jackson's my favorite writer of all time so like I was like Mm -hmm. I love this I love the ability to just hurt me and unsettle me but make me want to read more and more and more um but also, I really, really loved that you set this in not just the, like, literary world, because there's a lot of books that are set in the, like, higher echelon, like, literary world, right? Right. Like, in the publishing houses yeah. themselves. Like, yeah. But most of us don't have access to to what that's really like. We don't, we can't really connect with that. You, you bring together the two parts of the literary world that don't actually get to connect very much. And that is the literary mm-hmm. world where Rosemary is an editor, right? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. the on the ground bookseller and how these like, and who is also a struggling writer who like can't figure herself out, but also like <laughs> is kind of an egotistical maniac who thinks she can just like, <laughs> she's, she's a genius who, who it, once she finds the right idea, she'll be able to write an incredible, like life changing, world changing piece of literature. Um, but she's going to like steal somebody's life to do it. Like I <laughs> like left and right bangers, Caitlin bangers. Okay. Well, we love to hear it. Thank so you. So <laughs> I want to know, um, first of all, like we said, you are a former bookseller. I would love yes. to know what compelled you to write a story about a bookseller, um, and mm-hmm. also what kind, like where this idea came from to have such a flawed character in this world. Um, and of course, obviously, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but I desperately need to know um, some of your wildest bookselling stories for you personally. <laughs> I honestly I'm sure you have even crazier stories than me because I also as a PSA like just worked weekends which is really interesting like I was hired as the weekend Mm -hmm. girl like they already had full-time people during the week and they needed someone to cover weekends like going into the holiday rush so I was that gal so I was basically yeah I had trial by Mm -hmm. fire because I think I was hired like 
in late October. <laughs> so yeah. Okay, cool. Me too. Cool. Which was, you know, the spook- it was a spooky yeah. season. Um, and it, you know, things were, it was getting cold out in New York. It was getting dark It's early. already cr- like Christmas vibes, ramp up is The begun. vibes were immaculate. Yes. And like, we already have, you know, we like the ramp up to Thanksgiving was already in full mm-hmm. swing. And I feel like November is a huge time for book mm-hmm. events. So in the bookstore I worked at, Powerhouse Arena had a ton of mm-hmm. events. So I was sort of, I was like cutting my teeth on that after hours, yeah. like laying out the mm-hmm. wine and the little, and the little crackers and, um, which is a scene in the book. But essentially, you know, I wanted to write about book selling because for one, it was told, it totally consumed my life for almost a year. Um, and I think it just, I was always thinking about it, like as I was falling asleep. And I know that I've talked to friends who've worked in service industries, like worked as waitresses or as bartenders. They say that they have stress dreams or they just go to bed, like thinking about or rehashing the day or anticipating the next day. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was me too, because, you know, I think in the gear up to the holiday season, I just would have stress dreams about like long lines at the register and having to wrap gifts. Um, because I was also in a very particular neighborhood where there were just tons of children running oh God, around. I feel like I and... lived the same life. I had <laughs> that dream. I was, I worked in that oh neighborhood. God. Like, yeah, you're like not wrapping fast enough. And a parent is like staring oh my you God. down and you're like, I'm I used sorry. to have dreams of the um, line wrapping around the bookstore. It just never ending. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm not like the best with my hands. I was never a very crafty mm-hmm. person. So I actually had this funny experience with some regulars in the bookstore who would come in. It, it seems like because there were so many young families um, and young parents that were always constantly, because I was a weekend girl, they were always going to like- Oh, Saturdays, parties, birthday um, day. Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah. yeah. So they would come in at like 10.30 a.m. right after mm-hmm. we opened. And they'd be like, I need, then they would just be like running around, like finding toys or like picture books and then rushing at me and being like, the party starts in 10 minutes. I need everything I individually like, wrapped with name tags. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Different I was seat just, in each. <laughs> and like I'm kind I'm a very slow rapper because I don't I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist at all I think that I just would overthink like the rapping yeah. which is ridiculous because it's literally just you know scissors and tape but I would be like oh no this corner is like kind of scuffed up so I have to like fix the corner or I have to like oh no the corners aren't perfect and I have to put it in this bag but this bag like isn't it, it won't it, it'll it's a, it's a paper bag so it's gonna break so I was just constantly stressing about the wrapping and eventually these parents were like were basically teasing me and saying that they wanted my colleague to do the rapping and that I would just check them out. So they, everyone knew that I was like the terrible rapper. They'd be like, can Melanie rap our gifts? But like, we love you and you can bring us up and let's chat. But like Melanie, my colleague would just be rolling her eyes in the back, like rapping them perfectly. <laughs> so I was the girl they would always be circumventing to get to the person that would actually rap Honestly, privileged so... position because like, I don't necessarily <laughs> want to rap gifts, right? Like... Yeah, she really loved it too. Like she was very detail oriented and she found it meditative, whereas I just found it stressful. So like it worked out. We found our strengths and weaknesses. Um, but no, I mean I I loved it, but I you know, I would have those stress dreams. But I know I think like we were in this very big space and actually I don't know if you know much about Powerhouse Arena, but mm-hmm. it's also associated with Powerhouse Books, mm. which is sort of these like beautiful art books that they would create. Oh. It was a publishing house as well. It was a small Kind of like press. Chronicle. So a lot um, of San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the books that they sold at Powerhouse were Powerhouse mm-hmm. books. Um, and they only had like a sort of smaller dedicated fiction and nonfiction mm-hmm. section and then a really big children's section. Yeah. So it was kind of an interesting environment to be in because um I didn't know as much about the art books that they were selling, but I got to know them really well. And they were just really beautifully made. Um, 
And they were also beautiful gifts. So I felt like people were always coming in before parties <laughs> looking for a perfect gift. It was also in a really touristy yeah. area um, right underneath the Brooklyn Bridge, like between the Brooklyn Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge. Yeah. So we would constantly have people from different parts of the world coming in. And so I, you know, I get to like brush up on my Spanish a little bit. So it was, it was really stimulating. And I just met so many different people. And I know like I loved my neighborhood bookstore when I was the the majority of the time that I spent working on this book, I lived on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. So my local bookstores were books, um, book culture, um, and like the Barnes and Noble, but mostly this place called book culture. And it was very, um, it was either like all Columbia students and Columbia professors because it was on 112th street. Or it was just local Upper West Siders and not a ton of tourists. Mm. So I think it, the, the vibes are really different at all the bookstores in the city. And so it was interesting to sort of commute to Brooklyn every weekend yeah. um, and experience that neighborhood and then return to my little my little nest in the Upper West Side. Yeah. Um, but no, I loved it. And I think the reason why I made Naomi a bookseller is simply because when I first started writing the book, I had just finished my book selling experience and I had so many anecdotes Mm -hmm. and stories to tell and I'd met so many people and I feel like I don't know if you agree with this but I feel like being a bookseller you take you take a back seat in many ways and you get to observe and I just felt like I was constantly overhearing conversations Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of first dates yeah, right. Like the man is mansplaining to the woman about like what book that they oh should get. Oh my god! I recently had <laughs> a guy like, walking around, of... and he was like, he was walking with this girl, and I just overhear him go, mm, "Are they playing Vivaldi? How basic!" <laughs> oh my god! Imagine calling Vivaldi basic. Just like what? It's like <laughs> it's a classic. Ooh, I don't hope she doesn't call oh, you that. Wow. Yeah. Oh my god. Probably like I think we should put on some Aphex Twin. And like no shade Aphex Twin, but I feel like it's very much like. The hipster, like, cool guy thinks that, you know, Apex Twin is the thing. Um, but, yeah, you definitely hear a lot of that are, like, the men aggressively trying to um, get their girlfriends or dates to read Philip Roth. <gasps> <laughs> and, like, I'll, I'll be honest. I really love Philip Roth. But it's just specific to, like, overhearing the same conversations. I think that you should get four more And you're just like, is this a joke? Have you, have you never read Phil K. Really? <laughs> What about what about Vonnegut? Yeah. L- listen, 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 listen. Let's ask. I just want to show you. I just want to show you. And then they come up to the counter and have me pull six books that they're not going to buy. Oh my god! Totally. Yeah. And then they expect you to just like go. Yeah. Oh, back. I didn't want to buy it. I just, I just wanted, I just wanted to. Show <laughs> I just wanted to. Yeah. I just wanted to talk about it and show off my intellect. Yes. <laughs> um. But yeah. No. But I, I genuine, I genuinely did love it. Um. I like being on my feet. I think just because I have such bad posture, you could probably see him just being slumped in this chair right now. So it felt good to just be moving a lot, like walking Mm -hmm. around, kind of whatever nervous energy I had from other parts of my life, I got to really, you know, shake out by like, like strolling the floor and um, reorganizing the shelves and the tables. And yeah, I just had, I had a lot, I just had a lot of people and experiences like kind of rolling around in my brain and I didn't know what to do with them. So I was like, I guess I'll write about them. Um, as one does. So yeah, and I also just thought Naomi as someone who does uh, like overthink a lot and observe a lot and is just constantly not only like overthinking herself, but mm-hmm. also making assumptions about other people and kind of enjoying watching other people with like a relative degree of anonymity. And I just thought like a bookstore is the perfect place where you can really learn a lot about someone while still remaining fairly anonymous. And it allows you to talk to people in a way that, like, doesn't feel forced. Yeah. It can be very organic. 
Um, and I think with her sort of social anxieties, but also her desperate need to like be liked and to be extroverted, it seemed like the right place for her. Yeah. Um, so it's partly me just being lazy and being like, well, I have already been a bookseller. Why don't I just like, why don't I just make her I know a how to do that. I can put something there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it also, you know, it lent itself to her character in ways that I didn't expect. Um, that yeah. felt, that felt good the more I wrote. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, like as far as her her core story right is she is looking for a story and that is for herself in her life that is for her writing but it it is like Mm -hmm. emotionally she's trying to figure out what is up with herself um she does she doesn't know she doesn't know who she is or what her place is um and she she kind of I, it, it felt like there were layers to her character of her trying to figure out, like, oh, no, like, I, I am the, I'm the, the game player here. I'm the one who knows what's going mm-hmm. on. I am observing all these people. In a way, she has this kind of superior tone. But just below yeah. that, there's this, you get the feeling that the reason she does all this is because she genuinely is terrified of the fact that she has no idea what she is. Um, yeah. And, or how to function in a normal way with people and even though she desperately wants that, um, yeah, absolutely. she wishes it was easy. And that's why she goes to all these great lengths. And that's why she does all the crazy shit she does is because she's trying to figure out how to capture that, um, that yeah. ease of existence that so many other people seem to have, um, which she is completely missing that aspect of everybody else's life. She doesn't seem to process the fact that other people also feel that way um right (laughs) yeah no she can get really in her head she gets really in her head and I think that's sort of I mean I'm also don't want to spoil the book but I think what what ends up happening in the end is like her realizing wait it's not just me who feels this way um and it's not just me who also is desperate and insecure and trying to find themselves Mm -hmm. and um yeah we're all like that and I think what's been fun for me so far with the people that I've spoken to about the book is it, and at least for me, like in writing her in sort of, and you mentioned earlier, like, how did you find um, writing such a flawed yeah. character? And it's interesting because like when I set out to write her, I didn't, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm writing a flawed character. I was just like, I'm writing a character who is basically, you know, using her base instincts mm-hmm. um, to live her life yeah. in a way that, you know, I've pondered but would never actually do because it's not how the world works and that's not how normal human interactions work but I think what was really exciting about Naomi for me writing her is I was like what would I what could I never do in real life that I can do on the page with her and often those things were really dark Mm -hmm. and and kind of fucked up I mean not even kind of fucked up like like wicked super fucked up from the first page yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly and I just you know I wanted to sort of honor like the dark thoughts we all have but would never act on because we have a moral compass yeah. <laughs> um and I sort of wanted to see like she has a moral compass but she's desperate like she, she's refusing to allow it to color what she does because I think she's she has all these like justification metrics for why she's doing what she's doing and I think like ultimately the book and as you sort of touched on this her need to write you know the, the great novel mm-hmm. like that's a justification metric yeah. like I think she she is a writer. She wants to write. But 
I don't think she feels like a no. writer yet. I don't think she's, I don't think she's, yeah, like she doesn't know herself well enough to actually know. What well, she's barely written anything when we meet her. She's right. like, I'm going to write this great yeah. book. I've just been waiting for the right subject. And it's like, yeah. oh, I've met these people. These people who are like, oh, yes, <laughs> I am a writer. I have a great novel in me. Well, what have you written? Right. Well, nothing. Yeah. But that's because I haven't found the right thing to write yet. It's like, oh, I yeah. know who you are. I know who you are. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's like you have to find something to say. Yeah. And I don't think she knows what she's trying to say. And I no. think over the course of she's hoping that over the course of getting to know Rosemary and experiencing this relationship with Caleb, that she will stumble into something that she wants to yeah. say. But ultimately, she's still not really being true to herself through a lot of the book. So in that way, she can't be authentic enough to figure out what no. she wants to say. And I'm hoping that like by the end that might change like sometimes I imagine what she's doing right now like off the page yeah. and I have my theories and I'm sure readers will too but you know I I want like maybe it's just because I wrote her but I, I was rooting for her but also like wanting her to want it I wanted things to blow up in her face yeah because I just feel like when you write a character that is this flawed and this um you know at times like incredibly self-absorbed um you know you want her to have to confront that part of yeah. herself and I hope that <laughs> she she does sufficiently. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's funny. Like, I, I'm fond of her, but I also am so glad that, like, she totally <laughs> had to start. Like, she, she needed to be put. Oh, God. Let's, yeah. Let's leave it at that. Well, it's, you know, it's hard because yeah. it's like, you know, to go back to the comparison to Mary Cat from We've Always Lived in the Castle. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you have you read that book? I read it in high school. I, so ages I ago and I should love that book. this is a great reminder to revisit it honestly. if you want to talk about an unreliable narrator and one of the most twisted heroines in literature we have always lived in the castle Mary Cat is okay incredible I'm putting that on the top of my revisiting short TBR. read too it was it's maybe <laughs> one of the most influential books that I personally that I've ever read I read it when I yeah. was 13 um, I had, I think we had this, it was, I was living in this tiny, tiny mountain town in California and we had one of those, like, I don't know. It's amazing that we had a library because we, we didn't even have like a gas station. Um, <laughs> and it, but priorities, right. Priorities. I, awesome. Great. <laughs> but it like, it was in one of like those mobile trailer units that like you can have at like high school sometimes. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, yeah. Like a book. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so they had very little stuff. So my mom and I would go down there, like it was during the summer, I would, I would go down there and I would just pilfer, like get like 13 books in, a, in one go. Um, and I would yeah. think I was 15 when I read it. Um, and I just grabbed that book and like Tamora Pierce and like whatever they had. Um, and I read it essentially in one sitting and I will never forget this, like reading Shirley Jackson's writing for the first time. It felt very, very similar to reading your writing. Cause it was like this, you don't like, you know, from the beginning, you see the red flags from the beginning. First sentence, you know, you know, <laughs> they're waving in the air wildly. in the same way that like y you begin with, you know, immediately that, uh, <laughs> Naomi is stalking somebody um, like yeah. and knows she's stalking somebody like full on reflective sunglasses, like basically disguise, <laughs> like crazy shit. Um, yes. In the same way. And we've always lived in the castle. Uh, Shirley Jackson, um, I think if not the opening line, like one of the very first paragraphs is her saying, I wish everyone would die. Like, like 
woman after yeah, that. Yeah, like you know, you're like, whoa, okay, and you, yeah, the tone. If that's the, the tone. tone is also that you have no idea if this woman is a woman. You don't find out till later that she's she's a fully grown woman, but she sounds like she's a child yeah. because her thoughts are so honest and unhinged in a way that it's like, oh, you don't have a moral compass in the same way a kid does. And in the same yeah. way, I felt like Naomi had this incredible lack of self-awareness. Like she she doesn't, in, in almost a childlike way, where she knows that she's not supposed to do this, but also she's like, I can't stop myself because I'm desperate. I, I, I don't. I don't actually know that what I'm doing can hurt somebody or will even hurt me. She has nowhere to hide. This is hurting herself. Um, yeah. I think at times she, like, I think you're making a really good point. I think at times, like, if there's, if there are ever, like, moments of self-awareness that kind of peek out from under her sort of crazy facade, yeah. I think she's, like, terrified of those yeah. moments and she represses them. Um because I think she's afraid of, like, what she will learn about herself. So I think that what you just said is completely on the nose. Like, it it really is her her own awareness scares her so that she completely ignores mm-hmm. it and continues, like, full speed ahead um, and ultimately does hurt herself. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's a spoiler. But I think in a way, like, it's because she doesn't feel like she deserves yeah. any of yeah. – she doesn't feel she deserves love. She doesn't feel that she deserves to be considered a good writer. I think she's just like, unfortunately, has a lot of self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, like, I, it could be argued that a lot of what she does is sabotaging yeah. herself. Um, but at the same time, she is hurting other people. Yeah. Um, she's pulling them all into that orbit of self-loathing, which, you know, like we all have <laughs> our issues, but... Some are bigger than others. Hopefully, and like, hopefully you don't drag other people down with you. And unfortunately she does. And I like to think that by the end, she's finally somewhat aware of the consequences of her actions. But yeah, it's, it's definitely like that. Yeah. That awareness, um, it comes and it goes, it sort of flickers in and flickers out and she chooses to ignore it. Well, I think that's where the core of, of how you can connect to a character that is so obviously from line one like someone that you should not connect with. I love that word. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can't, you don't want to connect with somebody that absolutely nuts. Like you don't. Yeah. But at the same time, (laughs) in the same way that I feel like, and I'm speaking as a former nanny here, in the same way that you can connect with a toddler who has no idea why they're slapping you and screaming in your face, you can have (laughs) empathy for someone who clearly doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't understand how miserable they are. They don't have the language for it. They don't have the language to Mm. express themselves in a way that is beneficial to them and to those around them. Um, They only act and they act in ways that are very often self-sabotaging, like a toddler who screams because they're so tired that they can't go to sleep. Um, Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, um, so it was, it's a deeply unsettling read. It's, it's a, because for many reasons, but in, in a great way, like, like that is a, yeah. that is a fantastic book. Um, in the same way that, you know, we have always lived in the castle is one of my favorite books of all time. A novel obsession is, is a fantastic book. And you should be extremely proud Thank of you. yourself for being able to make a character that we so deeply empathize with, but also are like, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, God damn it, I don't I don't wanna like you. Or I mean, not even like her, but yeah, just be be sucked in as you I mentioned. don't want to connect um, with this person on an intimate yeah. level, yet here I am. Yeah. 
I'm just so excited to read that book now. We've always lived in the castle. Like, I'll probably email you my, like, live stream thoughts of being an adult. Because, like, it's crazy that I read it probably when I was 15 for class. And I think that, like, when you're reading something for school, it doesn't feel as special. It doesn't feel like you're reading it for yourself. So I would love to revisit it as an adult. Yeah. Um, Haunting of Hill House, yeah. too. And then, yeah. It's funny. I saw I saw the TV series, <laughs> Haunting of Hill House, but I've actually never read so it. So <laughs> the Haunting of Hill House, I, oh, God, not to go on a Shirley Jackson tangent, but that's where we're no, at. No, I mean, please. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've read everything Shirley Jackson has ever written. I've read all of her essays. I've read all of her like weird witchy witchy thoughts that she scribbled down on a piece of paper i got her recent book that was published by her son um i i'm i'm obsessed with shirley jackson i'm obsessed with her very very short life and if you don't know anything about her listeners um she died when she was i believe like 45 she died very very young um she was from the bay area um she married an east coast intellectual he was a professor who cheated on her terribly with his students um and her husband was jewish and like she or i believe he was jewish but she just they they came from two very different backgrounds and she a lot of her her writing circles around women who feel extremely trapped and women who kind of go off the rails um well, not kind of, they absolutely go off the rails and in some case drive into trees. Um, but she she wrote about, at its core, the feeling of being ostracized because she never felt like she had a place in her husband's life. She never felt like she had a place in his community. Um, she wrote some really poignant pieces about like fictional women meeting their husband's you know, young college mistresses, um, which are hard to read. Um, yeah, because it's because you know what happens and you know that one day she just goes to sleep and she never wakes up. Um, and she, she has a very kind of Plathian like tragedy to her where like she was this woman, she used to do crazy ritual stuff where she would like the things that Mary Cat does where like Mary Cat, like to, to ward off, like from her life changing, she has these, ritual she'll do where she'll like bury things in the yard or nail pieces of paper to a tree and if the paper falls off she has to get a new one she has to nail it she has to wear her clothes inside out um in the same way shirley jackson did those things um so she was a a sort of literary witch um very strange woman but (laughs) the haunting of hill house has absolutely nothing to do with the show um except they took the name of a couple of the characters and they took the name of the house but everything else pretty much is absolutely different different. neither is i mean they're they're both good but they're the the actual story of the haunting of hill house revolves around a woman who um she it's been a while since i've read it but she is at the start has just escaped the drudgery of her family life where she is known as like the spinster uh her sister is married with children and like controls her life and before that it was her mother who she took care of but who hated her um she thinks that she's ugly she dreams of finding love she she dreams of all of these things and she has just signed up to to join this like experiment at this house that's supposed to be haunted but she doesn't really know anything about it but she's doing this just to get away um and it's her first big thing it's her first big independent thing she's gonna do um and there is a really poignant line that I thought of when I was reading your book and she is stopped at a little diner in the town um, just before uh, she's going to go to the house. She hasn't met anybody there yet. And she stops to get some food and she overhears a conversation between some parents, a waitress and a very young girl. She's, I think she's like three or something. And the girl is 
absolutely losing her shit because she wants her milk in her special star cup. And they don't have a special star cup. They're at a diner. Um, and uh, I believe her, the main character's name is Eleanor, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, that, that sounds right. Um, and Eleanor is sitting at the bar and she she just kind of looks down at her cup and she goes, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but she basically just says, hell yeah, you sh- you fight for your star cup. You deserve your star cup. Um <gasps> Because she's lost her ability to fight for her own star cup. Her and oh, right. it is mm-hmm. um in the same way your your book reminded me of someone who like th- this very specific, unreliable, but deeply deeply flawed, but still likable woman who is living in this world where she feels both trapped but also like she is missing something that could unlock yeah. the cage around her. Like there's I've had, I've been right. like laying awake thinking about these comparisons <laughs> for like two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, no, it sounds really, it, it, you're right. And it's so interesting too. Cause it's like, in a way, when I think of um, her as trapped, it's sort of, it is like the self-inflicted trap, yeah. at least in Naomi's case, um, which is interesting. Cause like she, she is sort of, the arbiter of everything that happens around her and like is desperate for control um, and wants to make things happen. Like she's the one who's sort of going out and, and you know, she's the, she's the mechanism. Um, But yeah, I mean like ultimately she's trapped herself or at least like she's, she's implicated herself in that way. Yeah. Um, Someone should have told her to, I mean, well, actually, no, no one should have told her to get the star cup. I feel like that is something that she already feels entitled yeah, to. Yeah, see, that's that's very specific <laughs> to to your character, to Naomi, is that yeah. Naomi has a sense of entitlement to her. That, she does. That is very yeah. Mary Cat. It's not Eleanor. It's very Mary Cat. This feeling of like, yeah. no, I am in control. I just have to figure out what I want to do. Um, right. And and. To, to that end, she feels entitled to manipulating everyone around her to suit her yes. needs because she knows what's best. Um, it's her story that matters, right. not theirs. They should be grateful that they mm-hmm. are in her story at all. Um, yeah, that's a really that's a really good point. Yeah, I think that's absolutely how she feels for the majority of the yeah. book, which is like a dangerous way to think and a dangerous way to be. But it's fully it's fully how she what she believes for most of the yeah. book at least. Um, yeah. So what was it like? Um, you, you talked a little bit about about why you decided to set it in the bookstore. But I'm wondering yeah. how once you actually started writing the book and in the bookstore and in with the bookseller and also in the literary world, because you are you've also published many uh, like short stories and stuff. Right. Like you yeah. studied creative writing. Correct. You teach it now, don't you? I do. Yeah, I teach online um, with uh, a company called The Writer's Circle, which is based out of New Jersey. But luckily, they have remote classes mm-hmm. as well. And I teach kids and adults. And it's been really fun and rewarding. And yeah, I taught it. Um, I did my MFA at NYU. And they actually allow I was always like, how are we allowed to do yeah. this? But it was so fun. They basically let the grad students um, teach intro to creative writing classes to yeah. undergrads, which I always felt like once again, was being thrown into the fire, like without much training, I'll be yeah. honest, they were like, okay, here, just give us your syllabus and we'll approve it or not. Um, also, just as a PSA, my stomach is growling. I'm sorry if the mic is picking up on that. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> so just ignore honestly, me. Honestly, all the time it happens to me. Or like sometimes okay, I have great. smoothies before I come in here. And let me tell you the sounds a stomach makes when you oh, after, after a, a smoothie. smoothie the gurgles. Ungodly. <laughs> so, like really though, I know my, my stomach feels like there's like a small bear inside, but it's fine. I'm like, I'll eat later. It's just, I'm sorry if it is fucking with 
sound. But um, but no, I mean, I, I think I also, this is sort of random, but I've also, I've worked at literary agencies as well. Oh, wow. Day. You've I'm been all over like, the place. I've been all over the day in plays. I also worked um, for a radio show and uh, like an, a stage mm-hmm. show called um, Selected Shorts at that's run out of Symphony Space, which is this sort of performing arts center on the Upper West yeah. Side. And so I feel like I've, I've been, I've dabbled in like so many aspects of the literary world that I feel like what was so great about book selling is I feel like it all intersects yeah. like in the bookstore, like everyone in any corner of the literary world like eventually has to either do an event at a bookstore, yep. or speak with a bookseller, like lays with other booksellers. It's just, it does feel like sort of the meeting place, um, like almost like the town hall yeah. of the literary world, um, which I, I love that about it, um, that it sort of all does like start with us in a sense. We're, we're both at like the bottom um, of the totem pole, totem pole, but also like the most <laughs> important part because like, yeah, like, literally, as much as we are untrained retail professionals, <laughs> right, right? <laughs> uh, who just happen to, I hope, like reading, and most of us are yeah. readers to some degree. Um, yeah, it, we also like we're the ones who sell the books. Without the bookstores, like right. you only have online book selling. And let me tell you, it is really, really hard to sell a book online solely because yeah. there's so much out there it's like when you get there's um so like much. scrolling fatigue on netflix it's the same thing that happens oh when God, you're in an online books book platform yeah um no i, I don't shop that way to be completely yeah. honest i i don't really i shop by, by browsing and by like my friends telling me what to read mm-hmm. and by seeing the same cover yeah. like pop up again and again with a premise that i think sounds interesting the 30 but second it's pitch true. It's from like, a bookseller oh my god totally and it, it is interesting for me because because yeah like there were times when I would introduce myself as a bookseller during the time that I was working as mm-hmm. one and people would be like, oh, that's so cool. Like they would want to know more. They were like, I love reading. And, you know, it was always the person who's like, oh, I love to read. And I'm like, good. Yeah. Like most, most humans should read. Um, yeah. I know so many people don't have time or like they think that they don't have time, yeah. but it's always like a red flag to me. So I, I'm always thinking, I'm saying to people that say they don't have time to read. I'm like, but you can listen you to can. A on audio. You can well. read a graphic so, novel. Like, you, have no, you have no excuses. Um, but yeah, so, but what I, what I was like learning, especially like even when I was a bookseller and now when I'm sort of trying to like bring my book to the masses and like hoping booksellers fall in love with it and yeah. love it. We're bringing it um, into my bookstore. Yay. Thank you. Um, but it's interesting too, like from booksellers in some cases, like no one really understands like how important they are from the ground up. And it's so interesting to see publishing houses try to like woo booksellers yeah. Um, and try to sort of win them over in the hopes that they will champion the book that of the book of the moment. So it is interesting because like sometimes people don't give booksellers enough credit. And like, as you said, CS as retail workers, which, you know, it, I have like utmost respect for any retail worker anyway, yeah. anywhere, but it's like, I feel like the average retail worker at Urban Outfitters isn't like directly responsible, um, for like what someone puts on and wears and buys from the dressing room. And so it's sort of interesting to me how, like, booksellers are, in so many ways, the conduit between the wider world. We're, and, like, we're also, a, a, like, a cultural thermometer, some, like, yeah, for, for our very specific zones. Um, yeah. It is, we know what's, we know what's selling. Yeah. We see it. We bring them up. We do. <laughs> we know, know we, we know what covers are working. We can also tell mm-hmm. what the publisher cares about and what they don't. We know, like, yeah. how our, you know, neighborhoods work and what, what is mm-hmm. most popular there. But also on, a, like, a wider scale, um, it's really interesting to kind of, like, see the wider trends for these things. Yes. Um, 
but but also it's it's a sort of it is a vault of institutional knowledge um Mm. because book selling is a lifetime endeavor everyone has it in them to be a bookseller here's how you love the books that you love right yeah that and love to talk about and you love (laughs) to talk about them so if you can sell a book that you love as a bookseller you will do that for a lifetime you will sell the book you love for a lifetime that is what publishers are looking for they're looking to get in that what i have called it before on the podcast i've called it um like a mental rolodex of our favorite books Uh if you are on the mental rolodex you will sell that book probably once a week for your entire career um absolutely someone comes in with like a very vague idea of what mm-hmm. they want and you're like i'm gonna make sure this fits yep exactly <laughs> like i don't care if they didn't describe anything nope. to do with this book i'm selling it and then they leave with it and you're like my yes. i always felt like a sense of pride when i would sell a book that like definitely isn't what they came oh, not in for <laughs> not at all i i sell one of my favorite books of all time which i think you would enjoy i'm just i'm just you're yeah. i'm you're leaving here with homework um i agree is i don't me. know if you've read it but it's called the night tiger by yang zi chu i have not so I'll write it down. She wrote The Ghost Bride, which was turned into a Netflix show a few years back. Um, it's She writes... Oh, God. I, I've also met this woman. She's incredible. She's one of the kindest people alive. And just, like, one of those people who you meet, and you're like, how is it fair that you sound so smart and so nice at the same time? Like, one of those incredibly, like, erudite, like, articulate people. And you're just like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, yeah go, go, go fuck yourself. You don't... No, no. I know. I'm Not so fair. jealous of articulate people. I'm always like... Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the Night Tiger is a set in, like, a just on the edge of, um, like, post-colonial uh, Malaysia. So it's, it's still colonial, okay. but it's just transitioning out. Like, things are in this very strange transitional time. Um, and it's a coming of age story of um, a dance hall girl and a servant boy. And the dance hall girl, uh, it has her mother is like a gambler and she's basically trying to pay off her debts. Um, and the servant boy has just been charged with his master's dying wish, which is um, there is a belief in certain Asian countries that there is a time limit after a death where you have to assemble all of the pieces of the body and get them together. And if you pass that time limit, um, the soul will be forced to wander the earth forever. Um, and he has been charged by his dying master, who I believe is a white man. It's been a while since I've read it. Um, that he is, he is supposed to find this man's missing finger. Um, it's been missing oh for gosh. decades. Um, at the same time oh, that our dance hall girl finds a mummified finger <laughs> on the dance hall floor. Imagine finding a mummified finger. That would, that would not be a good Imagine day Imagine picking it up, actually. Yeah. I probably would. What is this? Holy shit. Yeah. I, or like thinking it's something else. <laughs> well, if there's a fingernail on it, I think... That's true. But like, what do you what even a mummified fingernail look like? Anyway, we're getting too in the weeds, but um, that <laughs> That's, sounds really it's interesting. A, it's a fantastic book. Um, and that is a book that I hand sell constantly. I, I literally, we have oh, to bring in yeah. huge stacks because I'm constantly selling it. Yeah. Um, I feel like you could just say mummified fingernails and people are just- Well, like, yes, I usually just, I start with the mummified <laughs> finger and I don't even get into the fact that there's like a whole bunch of folklore like rolled up into oh, yeah. it and this really, really beautiful scenery and the, like someone who like when- you read her writing like you can hear her voice so clearly and it's deeply messed up that her writing is so gorgeous yeah. because that also means that she speaks like that and it's just like wow wow okay that's fine um and and so to to get back to like the main topic here which is i sell that book all the time because that book is like 
one of my favorite books of all time. And it's a book that I think everybody should read. Um, yeah. And well, you've sold it on, you've sold it to me today. <laughs> fantastic. It's so good. And, and so booksellers are so important. Um, but a lot of times I've heard people say that like, oh, you know, people who get into bookselling as a way to get into the literary world, like that's a non-starter. Like you'll just like, that's no way to get into it. I I disagree. I think that everyone in publishing yeah, well. should should be a bookseller for at least a little while. At one point. Yeah. And a lot of people that I know have, like actually my literary agent was a bookseller first. Like, it's funny. We have this hilarious meet mm-hmm. cute story where my agent and I actually went to middle school together, um, but like weren't friends yeah. and like fell out of touch. Wow. And then That's amazing. she reached out to me like two years ago like over a decade later and didn't actually recognize my name. That's <laughs> and, like, amazing. And wanted to read the book. Yeah. And like we were on the same soccer team in middle school and everything. She was really good. I was like, okay. Well, um, I mean, you're a writer, so. Yeah, I'm not supposed to be like totally athletic um, and see the sun very often. Um, no, but so we we just had this cute meet cute. And I think a part of that was like she had been a bookseller at our hometown bookstore yeah. for a while. And like we're doing an event there, which I'm really excited about. But it is, we sort of initially bonded over that as well. Like that was sort of her way into becoming an agent. And like, it was one of my experiences. I just wanted to experience all of it really. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, I've just done so many different things within the book selling, within the book world. Yeah. Um, but that was sort of something that I'd always wanted to do. And and something like, I'd always wanted to be a bookseller. Like for some reason as a child, oh, the mystique? I just thought oh. people who worked in, yeah. yeah, I thought that everyone in a bookstore was so cool. Yeah. And like, my parents would still heavily rely on booksellers like every time Christmas rolled mm-hmm. around or my birthday, like my mom would always give me a book and say, you know, I was speaking to someone closer to your age who said that this book they really loved and they talk about it with their yeah. friends. So it is like absolutely completely, you know, you cannot underestimate or how um, how influential a, a bookseller can be or actually to put it more put it more specifically, people underestimate how influential they are all the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like every book I've ever received from my mother is something she like spoke to a bookseller. Do about. you remember, um, I, I have a very clear memory of my first like encounters with a bookseller because I got into reading very late. Um, I was a very, very weak reader until I was about 13. Um, mm. And then I all of a sudden, well, I found Twilight and Shirley Jackson converted you and, <laughs> and, and Stephanie Meyer. Like, let's, it was Twilight first. All due, all due respect <laughs> to Shirley Jackson, but it was Twilight first. Um, <laughs> and I will never forget my my bookseller. She was this woman who worked at the Barnes and Noble by my house, and I was a painfully shy thirteen year old, just the most awkward. But I will never forget going to that bookstore and seeing this. Like, she had bright red, fire engine red hair, um, piercings everywhere, like a leather collar, wore platform boots. Like, you know, you know the look. Jaw on the floor. Yeah. yeah. You were like, I want to oh be Oh, my her. God. She's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> and I remember going up to her and being like, um, so I really liked this book. Can you recommend me some other books? And she was like, oh, yes. And she like put down the stack of books she was shelving and she's like, come with me to YA. And she took me over there and she recommended me. What a moment. um, E. Lockhart. uh, She recommended, Mm, uh, God, um, the House of Night books, which I am 
desperate yes. to get uh, to get them on the, the podcast someday. Someday. Um, Melissa Meyer. Um, mm. God, like, or, and Melissa Marr. Did you ever read Meg Cabot? Were you a Meg Cabot I was person? a Meg Cabot person. A little bit too young. Her, like, her, her like, Princess Diary stuff. I would, I had already kind of aged out. Oh, yeah. Out. Um, yeah. But I did. My favorite series that she wrote was the Mediator series. I was, like, obsessed with those because it was about a mediator when he, like, spoke to ghosts. Um, Susie. And she fell in love with a ghost that lived in her bedroom. God. In actually, and I feel like you're so you're from Northern yeah, California, San, San Francisco area. So yeah. she this is this is set in um I think it's like set in Carmel by the Sea. Oh. And she just falls in love with this like sexy ghost so that funny. she can't really be with because because like he's from dead. 18th century. Yeah. Um. But she's always like kicking ghost butt. Like her job is to sort of get ghosts to to like finally move yeah. on. So she has to basically they basically haunt her, try to get her to like help them with their unfinished business yeah. so they can finally move on. And she's always, like, really annoyed. She, like, doesn't want to be a mediator. Oh. She's like, oh, this fucking, like, this fucking power that I have. Yeah. Like, I want to just live my life and be a normal teenage girl. And I was just obsessed with these books when I was in middle school. And oh my God. I still think of them fondly. There is a series um, that I, I'm blanking on the name right now, but it was about, like, this crazy-ass mythology where these girls discovered that they were goddesses. Um, and each book was, like, a hardcover, and there was, like, 20 of them. And one of the girls could control time, and another girl, like, uh, um, could, like, was, like, psychic and stuff. But there were these, this, like, other faction that was after them. And the girls, like, weren't... Um, immortal but if they wanted to become immortal they had to like step into this cold flame that would steal all of their humanity um and one of the girls i remember she i forget what her power was i think she was the psychic one but she finds out that she has wiped her own memories of being in a relationship with one of the evil guys from like the other faction and that she had just been about to step into the cold flame so that she could be with him forever. But she, but something happened and she didn't do it and she lost her memories. So it's him trying to build the relationship with her again. Oh my God. That's very much like, okay, this is a terrible comparison, but I immediately, it was like, it's like 50 first dates. (laughs) Yeah. Except it's like teenagers and, uh, fast cars and like goddesses and time travel and, uh, amnesia. Uh, well, I guess this 50 first dates is mostly amnesia, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like what you have the same premise in like a million different ways to do it. Less penguins probably. All right. After a little intermission where I fully lost the internet and everything went uh, tits up, uh, I think this is we're 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 at about an hour. So you know what? I think this is a good a good place for you to do your your various pluggables and talk about your book coming out and and all this good stuff. Wow. I see. I'm still not used to having to actually. Plug yeah. No one. Myself. No one is. No um, one is ever. But no, I mean, I the book comes out. I guess or the book came out yesterday for yeah. those who are listening. So if the idea of a woman stalking her boyfriend's ex in an attempt to try to find something to write about um, and having things go com- completely disastrously appeals to you, then please, please, please buy it or give it to one of your friends. Um, and don't tell me if you hate it. Yep. Don't. don't. That's what it. I say. But no, I mean, it's. I would love to see any and all faces, strangers, new friends. I have a bunch of events coming yeah, up. Yeah, you do. Um, one of them is virtual, which I'm really excited about because I think I love that in this moment in time, we are actually allowed to have in-person events yeah. again. But I do have um, a virtual event with my good friend, Raven Leilani, who wrote Luster. Such um, a good book. 
one of the amazing books of the last uh, gorgeous years. cover too so she'll be i know i know your cover's she pretty was, great too she lucked out no they're both very different they're very yeah. different vibes um but hers is definitely one of like the coolest covers of recent yeah. memory um but yes yeah, so we'll be chatting together via Greenlight bookstore on march 30th at 7 30 p.m eastern standard time so if that appeals um i'm very excited about that because she actually lives in mississippi now so we don't get to see each mm-hmm. other as much so it'll be fun to sort of connect online but no this has been just like so fun and as i said it's my first time like talking about the book in a podcast setting which is so surreal and fun and wonderful and i'm very excited to go read Shirley jackson now and like i said i will be sending you probably like emails late at night that you definitely oh don't there's want. no um, way i don't want to hear that absolutely <laughs> send me all of your thoughts yeah, i'll be like live blogging live blogging my thoughts to you um if you want some more if you want I'm some more shirley jackson wrecks i have like a descending list of like faves but honestly you can't go wrong with anything she's written including her absolutely yeah. ridiculously crazy like uh she wrote a lot of um like stories for for uh like ladies home journal and stuff like believe it or not like she is a wide range she wrote a lot of like parenting essays of her just terrible terrible children um so like yeah i don't have children yet but it's all fantastic (laughs) soon if i need them yeah that sounds great um that sounds great i'm really excited yeah it's funny i'm actually currently reading um such a fun i i haven't read any jasmine Uh before so i'm reading the wedding day right now it's so much fun it's so much fun I'm like, why have I never been trapped in an elevator with a hot guy that, that invites me to a wedding as his fake girlfriend? Like, that has yet to happen Someday. To me. So, you know, I mean, maybe I would just have to make my partner, like, get an elevator with me. We well, then you could do, I mean, you could do the, I mean, that is a very consistent romance novel trope, Caitlin, <laughs> is you hit that emergency button and you stop the elevator, which I don't know if that's actually how that works, but... Yeah, that is, like, actually my worst fear is being stuck in an elevator, so I actually think that I would not do it even if it was, like the dreamiest dreamboat of dreamboats, I think I would still be like, I'm going to die. Like, that is definitely one of my top 10 fears. So uh, I went to, I went to art school and uh, the art school in San Francisco, the Academy of Art has, is one, it's like one of the biggest landholders or like, not landholders. um, It's, real estate holders in san francisco they own like mm. a, like a quarter wow. of the city it's insane um but one of the buildings they own and turned into dorms is an old merchant's hotel um and that's called the commodore and i lived there for a year and it is i mean it was built in like i don't know like the mid 1900s like it's it's like it's old it's an old building that they've just converted and converted and converted um but they they didn't really convert the elevators the elevator is this really tiny rickety little box i'm already yeah (laughs) and there's a big sign posted like inside outside on every wall that says like no more than 250 pounds can be in this elevator at once that's how rickety this was so basically if you are a jacked dude you you take the stairs um and that's what i did always because i hated the elevator yeah you're i am you're jacked, jacked i am i am extremely <laughs> dense my mass it's top notch um but it would happen inevitably once a week where all of these dumb college kids would like because they're all like 18 it was like a freshman dorm right we're yeah. all dumb you would like kids. <laughs> they'd climb in and then hit the up button and immediately the elevator would get stuck but they would already be up enough that they would all be trapped oh my god so you just hear yeah, you don't like, hear like would you hear them inside the elevator uh-huh 
I, yeah. You'd have to get rescued. It's also my worst fear of hearing someone yell help and like me not knowing what to do or how to, or how to help and just being like, oh my God. Um, yeah. That, so wait, what bookstore do you work at? I don't know if we've covered this. I yet. work at a small independent bookstore in San Francisco. So like, I, I don't want to dox myself. Um, <laughs> okay. So you're not going to tell you afterwards um, because okay. I would not put it past some of these jokers to listen to my podcast to show up at my work. Um, oh my but I, I've actually... I've, I've worked at two different bookstores in in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. um, or in the in yeah. San Francisco, and um, both of them have been family owned. I bet them. you might have been to I've mine, like... although mine's like really small. Yeah. Um, I applied okay. to work at Green Apple, and I never, I didn't get the job. I got like a call back, and then they never followed up, and I was like, oh, I guess I okay. I had a similar experience actually, because like it's funny when I was so I worked at Powerhouse in 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. like from October till Mayish when I just got another job that was full time and I had to quit sadly. Yeah. Um, even though I was sad too, but essentially I many years later, like post MFA, I was in that that weird time like after I'd graduated and I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I was revising this book um, and hadn't had an agent yet and and this was literally no joke like this time two years God. ago it was like early March yeah. like I had my interview at this bookstore in Brooklyn on like March or something, 2020. And, and I thought the interview went pretty well. Um, And then, but then I like never heard back and I was very confused Mm -hmm. by that. But the weird thing that happened is like, then, well, the weird thing that happened is what we all know happened, which is the pandemic. And like every bookstore basically had to scramble to figure out a way to sell over just like fulfill orders. Curbside. Yeah. So I was weirdly like, I, you know, to this day, I feel like I was meant not to get that yeah. job because I moved back home for like six months and lived with my family, which is a whole other yeah. story. Um, Like with my adult brother and my like adult Ooh. partner and our animals and my parents. That's a house. <laughs> and that was where I, that was where I like revised my book and finally yeah. finished it. And so, and you know, I was like very privileged to be in that position and be living at home and like have that support. But I think to myself, like, oh, my God, if I had been working at that bookstore, if I had gotten the job, I I could be in a very different moment in my life right now. And I'm sure that would have been, like, incredibly – that would have been so difficult. Like, I I really – I was, like, applauding all the booksellers that were working at the time. I wasn't. So I got furloughed from the bookstore I was working at. Um, Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. That happened a lot to people I know I was – and I was similarly very privileged that I was okay – um, and I was living yeah. in a very nice house here in San Francisco where I had like a lot of space to myself. And so basically I, I took, I, I knew that I was working on borrowed time, being able to write full time. Yeah, totally, so I was like, I was like, okay, I, pandemic is going on. I've lost my job. Um, for a little while I was helping them do like online stuff, but like that ended relatively quickly. Um, but I was like, okay. I'm going to see if I can hack it. If this is something that I really, really want to do. I want to be a writer. I want to be a full-time writer. I've never done it full-time. So I was like, I'm going to see if I still like it doing it seven days a week. (laughs) Um, And and I, so I wrote a, I wrote four novels in, yeah, yeah. My brain just exploded. And that's basically what happened to me. Um, I'm a really slow writer. I can't. I'm a binge writer. I do like 5K a day. (laughs) Damn. Um, That is I'm impressed. Uh, it's, yeah. it, Teach me your ways. It's called, um, <laughs> I don't treat myself or my body well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. But I mean, yeah, the things we do for art, yeah. right? Um, 
You're like, I'm a gremlin during that time. Oh, God. Yeah, I basically, yeah. that's it. I that's turn into a full gremlin, and I just, like, stop eating and taking showers and doing laundry, and then okay. I, like, come up for air, Thanks. like, and, and then I don't write anything for... But then you have a novel, magically. Yeah. Um, but I, I also sort of tried querying uh, again for... Oh, it's, right, yeah, it's a shit Right show. at the start of the piece. <laughs> like, I already yeah. finished the... I wrote... Basically, I wrote, like, a sequel to the book that I had just finished in, like, December of, of 2019. Um, and so yeah. I was, like, I was already kind of on the track to start querying again. Um, mm. And I got a lot of really positive responses from the queries. But unfortunately, this is, like, that time, which I guess we're, we're yeah, still in this time, time where... We're still in it. Everyone's still frozen. unsure and uncertain about everything. Yeah. I've, I've, I mean, I had a ton of friends who also started querying at that time. And their books were amazing. And like in maybe a normal, in normal circumstances, like they would have been snapped up. But I just feel like people's bandwidth was so strained that like if that, if it was a book that needed work or that had like that just not that an immediate sell and a lot of editing. Right. Like I think agents were not, sh- they didn't want to say no to the stuff that they felt had potential, but they also like couldn't say yes. So I think that just people were waiting in limbo for months yeah. and months and months and months and yeah, but like keep the faith. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I, did, you know, it took me a while, but like it all worked out when it was supposed to. I think I really think so much of publishing, and I don't think this is talked about enough, is just luck. And oh, absolutely. Like there's so many talented people. Like I have so many friends who are like more talented than me. I mean, I'm not supposed to say that. Like buy my book, but um, do I just have friends that I like just admire so much that have not had like the best luck and it's and I and I really do believe that it's it's luck and timing yeah um and I feel like incredibly grateful that you know it just happened it just happened for me and I'm glad but also just am like equally aware that it could have so easily not happened yeah it's it's you know it's it's a very weird world specifically romance publishing right now is a very strange world because yeah, I don't know much about that world but yeah we are we are in a time of terror unrelenting terror and right right of course people yeah. decided at the start of the pandemic that the only thing that they were going to publish was rom-coms because everyone was so scared and everyone needed an escape so yeah. that was 2 years ago right so we are yeah. hitting the point where now all those books are coming out um rom-coms that's interesting so you think people kind of rush to fill that slot people like just who to, didn't know how to write comedy out. were told that they have to write comedy because it's the only thing that's oh, selling the calm part of the rom yeah no that's that's really and fair, yeah. so now what we're getting are a lot of very lackluster uh romances um which will rise and will fall right like this is the, yes. I, I think we're seeing the crest of the wave right now and it's only downhill from here in terms of saturation um yeah but, uh, wow yeah. But, i mean there's always those like ebbs and flows of what's what's trendy uh-huh. what's saturated what's like the very beginning of a trend and it's like you get it on the ground floor like i don't know but it's so you i feel like if you want to like really hack it you can't pay attention to anything. you just have to write because, like, what's the good trends are for so, you yeah, and like write what yeah. you want to write, write what you want to read, which is like such a yeah. cliche, but it is so true. And like that's why I wrote this book. So I was like, I have never seen someone like Naomi, and I want to write her because she cray, and I'm interested in that. Um, interested in like using all my most base instincts yeah. that I can't actually use in real yeah. life, <laughs> um, and just embodying that and seeing what happens. And so yeah, I mean, I think it was like I think it was Toni Morrison that said write the book that you want to read that if it hasn't been written yet you could write it yeah um because you're never going to be able to chase you're never going to be able to chase it because here's the deal with traditional publishing yeah it is two years behind so 
even the agents who feel like they have their thumb on the pulse they they don't you know who does they don't the writers who are writing the books that are going to be huge that no one knows about yet yeah and the booksellers who are watching all of it happen um right so seeing those you know what i i i'm friends with many writers um and it's it's really interesting and and with the podcast too because i started the podcast just because I love these things and I just wanted to talk about them. Um, yeah. And I wanted to sell like books. Yeah. I wanted it. to sell books. Right. So I was like, yeah, I want to sell the books that I love. And here's how I do that. I can't go in a store right now. So let me, let me talk about them online. Um, now I'm getting a different angle, which is I'm getting all of the publicists who come to me and are like, these are the right. big books. And I got seven emails last week that were all rom-coms. Interesting. Cause it, I will say like, I was surprised. I was like really grateful and surprised that I appeared on this podcast because I was like, oh, my! if people come to my book thinking it's a rom-com, I'd <laughs> no, be sorely disappointed. So PSA, it's not a rom-com. I wish I, I would love to write like a great rom-com. I grew up on They're rom-coms. They're difficult like, to I write. I love them. They're so hard. They're really difficult to write because it's like, there is, you know, you don't want to force it. And if, and readers are not stupid. No. Like they can tell when something is forced. Um, and yeah, so anyway, my book is not a rom-com, but like, I'm so glad you connected with it. Absolutely. And yeah, I, like, I'm glad that you took a chance on the book because I was like, I don't think that I'm, I don't think I'm her normal podcast book choice, but I'm grateful. No, I mean, it's, it's not. And then, and it's not necessarily a usual pick for this podcast at all, but you know, A, it's my podcast. I can do whatever I want. And B, <laughs> I think like a bookseller always has a place on the podcast once future, always. Oh, um, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> but I just, you. you know, as a fellow writer, um, also, like, I have a soft spot in my heart for debuts. Like, gotta, gotta do it. Gotta, gotta help. Um, we appreciate that. As a, as a debut, I appreciate that. Right? Like, I'm like, I can, in, in your spot, I know where I'd be. I'd be anything, any help I could get. But also just, like, yeah. if there is, when I read your book, I was like, this is a voice that is so strong. And this is a voice that is, I, I think you have many, many more very unique stories to tell. And I am, oh, I eagerly you. anticipate so. everything else you write. <laughs> this is a book that felt like a first step, not just like, you know, its own thing. It felt like it was, it's going to lead to much more. Um, I tried to do, when I was describing your book to the buyer and co-owner of my bookstore, who is a very dear friend of mine, I was like, I was like, yeah, so it's like, um, it's like a more fucked up Sally Rooney. <laughs> I love that. Please, please tell everyone that. Um, Because like, yeah, I mean, everyone's getting the Sally comparisons. And obviously, it's a comparison that one would want just because she sells books. And I I love her. I will admit, I love her. Um, And I know that a lot of people think it's like cool to not like her. But I'm like, what? She's great. She's great. She, she. I really love her book. I have quibbles. She found. With with her like romance stuff. But, but. Oh, totally. I, I don't like the, I don't, the only thing that I don't like about um, normal people, at least, is just, like, that weird side plot where she, like, wants to be beat up, and I was just, huh, like, yeah. I, I just felt like it was kind of familiar, and it didn't really work, and I was like, bring us back to Connell. Um, but anyway, yeah. I, but I do, I do love her books, and I will read anything she writes forever. I, she is, she's bought me. I'm bought in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad, I'm glad that I'm more fucked up, Sally Rooney. I like that. So all listeners... <laughs> That, that is exactly right. No, I've heard a lot of, like, the um, comparisons to you. As oh, well, yeah. Um, it's like Naomi's kind of the female version of Joe and, like, not as murderous. Yeah. Maybe that, hopefully that's not a spoiler, but not as murderous. Yeah. Um, Yet. <laughs> but it's equally fucked up and equally obsessed with, like, justifying her behavior, yeah. I think, as Joe yeah. is. Um, yeah. All the all the good comparisons, <laughs> man. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great book, and... 
I think it's Thank it's you. you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jinx anything but I don't think I'm gonna be the only one hand selling it is all I'll say oh so I really appreciate you saying that and I hope so and yeah, yeah. it's just hard it's being at this point in the process you just have, like, have no idea what no I mean it could go sort of like anyway gonna close my eyes and leap you know it's it's definitely a bit of a leap of faith like putting something out there after so many years of it being private yeah <laughs> um, as I'm sure you're oh aware. my god but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited I'm really excited about it mostly I'm terrified but also <laughs> I, I I'm in a lot of ways feeling the same way because I'm I'm publishing a um serial right now on Patreon of a book that oh I worked god. on for like over half a decade um Dang. Yeah. Send me the link. I would love to check it yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a urban fantasy, near future urban fantasy serial where it's, it's written as a full novel. It's just coming out, you know, chapter by chapter. Um, You're doing very, it's like a very Dickensian thing to do. Well, you know, I was like, I don't know that anyone would want to read this, right? Cause I'm like, who am you guys, a lot of people who listen to this podcast, you don't necessarily know that I'm a good writer, right? Like you listen to me, you may yeah, like yeah, me, yeah. but that doesn't mean you'll take a chance in my writing. So it's like, how do I introduce people to me and my stuff piecemeal? Um, and that's yeah, like a good it's idea, like but... one excerpt at a time. Absolutely, you get you you hook them, and then they're on the line. And then, but no, I immediately thought of like Charles Dickens, like rolling, yeah. and you know, like the they're like throwing his chapters out of the ship, and people are catching them. I don't actually think that actually happened. That's, that's how, how I want people, people to picture like, me. I need the next chapter. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like the Patreon version yes. of that. Um, well, I, it's, it's anyway, funny that I, I, in a lot of ways, I, I totally get it because I've lived with these characters in my head for like over, over, you know, half mm. a decade, I think like seven years now yeah. or something like that. And, wow. um, it is really interesting to experience outside outsiders who are, who are so invested in the story and who are like asking mm. these really niche questions. And I'm still like over here, like, oh, like you want to know that? Like you also feel this way about this character who I've loved for so long. This is really weird. I don't know how to do this. It's a wild experience yeah. to have people just talk about your characters to you as if they're real yes. people. It's definitely, and it just doesn't get old. So savor it because it's really it's, fun. It's very yeah. good. I'm like, I, I, everyone who has been so, so very kind about it, you guys are top notch. Um, which I guess is a good place to put my pluggables and wrap up this episode. Uh, yeah. um, okay, so as usual, you can find me wherever Kingdom Thirst, Instagram, Twitter, my personal account, Abigail K. Kelly on Twitter. Um, you know, vibe see stuff i do a lot of art um i do a lot of my you know personal writing stuff my book is called consort's glory if you are not a fan of patreon or reading things in bits you can pre-order that it comes out officially in full on august 6th as a paperback and as an ebook um i'm doing a special patreon exclusive print edition um because i am an artist and i could just do my own covers it's it's fun. Super great. Um, so I get to like do all that fun stuff. Um, I just am finishing up a special edition cover now. Um, but uh, you can read that if you want. I have novellas on there as on Patreon as well. We're starting the next one starts. We'll have already started. We'll be two chapters deep. And that one involves a dragon, um, a dragon man and a scientist, a weather scientist who has to save his life. Um it's going to be, it's, it's quite something. There are chickens involved. It's, it's a whole thing. Uh, but basically, yeah, it's, it's, um, the, the dragon is very, very lost and he is going to 
run into trouble very quickly if she does not lure him to her home. Uh, and unfortunately, once she does that, she has no idea what to do with him. And <laughs> things escalate from there. Um, <laughs> so that is going on. We've got all the stuff. You can find me uh, on in my email, kingdomwithers at gmail.com. You can also, I'm doing art streams on the Patreon and stuff as well, but whatever. You, you got enough plugs for that. Um, and then you can also join our regular Discord, which is the link is in the description below. You can find Kate, all of Caitlin's links below, all of that good stuff. Our bookshop.org account, which has our links to all the books that are on the show, including Caitlin's book, A Novel Obsession, which is out right now, which you can get right now and you should do it um, if you want to be deeply unsettled, but in a very fun way. Uh, it's it's yes, it's deeply unsettled. Whew, it's it's a doozy, y'all. So you should get it. Thank well, you. Thank you for being on, Caitlin. <laughs> my, my hype woman for the hour. That's my um, and I'm excited. I actually do want you to send me your Patreon links. I don't really know how it works, but I want you to send yeah. it to me so I can definitely read it and follow along. And oh call you the new dickens oh please i will call you the new shirley jackson if you'll call me the new dickens great we, we got That's it our, we, have, we have pet names it's already fantastic caitlin i really <laughs> want to have you on the podcast again like you have been such a joy this has been so much fun i had such a good time i was like worried that i would feel nervous and uncomfortable because i'm bad at i i'm still not used to talking about myself it's hard it's really really so hard fun. it just feels like it just feels like i've been talking to a friend so thank you for being so easy to talk to and welcome it's and thank you for having me it's again. Been great. Um, y'all get Caitlin's book. Do yourself a favor. It's gonna <laughs> it's it's gonna be something really, really, really good. So just do it. All right. Uh, uh you can hear me again next week, whether you like it or not. <laughs> uh so I'll talk to y'all later. Okay, bye. Kingdom of Thirst is a member of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find all of our episodes and tons of new podcasts to listen to at frolic.media slash podcast.